What's up, everyone, on a Monday? My name is Autumn, and 27 years ago, I started in diapers. Hi, I'm Jill Gaikowski. And I'm Ashley Allison. Welcome to Poverty Pitfalls and the Price of Diapers. Ashley, hi, how are hi. you? Hi. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm covering a little bit from this weekend's antics. I'm learning that I'm older than I act sometimes and it catches up to me. <laughs> uh, it's all right. You got to stay young in some ways, right? It's okay. Yeah, I feel like being like newer single person, it's like mm-hmm. you kind of fall, you know, I was, I haven't been single in 20 years. So. Wow. And I'm only almost 40. So kind of falling back into the same person I was. <laughs> You're due for some fun. I love that though. I love hearing your stories. I feel like I live vicariously through your fun. I feel like I have, yeah, I have a hard now, time. I guess it's now I'm never going to get any younger. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, that's, that's exciting. So you had a fun weekend. I know you went, went and saw some concerts and Soccer awesome. with my son, so still did some soccer mom stuff, and then mm-hmm. had some fun at night. And then I had one night where I just kind of vegged out and watched movies. <laughs> that was me. I was supposed to. I've got a happy hour group that I meet up with every now and then. I sent a text on like Friday afternoon. I was like, "Happy anyone?" And meaning, does anybody want to get together for happy hour? And we made plans. And I sat down at like four forty-five to feed my dogs real quick. And I was like, "I'm just going to sit here for a minute," and then get up and go. And then next thing I know, it's 6.45 and I'd fallen asleep on the sofa Friday night. I was exhausted. <laughs> I texted everybody. I was like, guess I'm not going to make it. <laughs> it <was your> <laughs> <idea>. <laughs> yeah, totally my idea. Uh, but it was gorgeous. So I walked the dogs up to a school, school nearby and kind of let them run around for a little bit and watch the sunset. It was gorgeous, gorgeous, oh. gorgeous. So, and so I'm excited about autumn today. Autumn um, is an incredible young lady, and uh, you'll hear that in the podcast. She's also on our Young Professional Board. She is on our Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. Um, She has been a Happy Bottoms client, and I just think she's kind of, she's the future of our world. She's like really passionate, inspiring. She's got her act together. Yeah, 27 she's years old. A lot of wisdom for mm-hmm. such a young lady. Um, she really does. Yeah, she she has great perspective and insight, and mm-hmm. it's a really great conversation. Yeah. So I hope you guys enjoy Autumn. Autumn, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you. I love, I feel like I rarely ever see you, but every time I see you, you bring such a smile to my face. You just like have this aura about you of positivity, at least that I see. Yeah, Yeah. thank you. That's so nice. (laughs) Well, it is. It's nice. It's nice to have it from you. So, um, so I guess let's just dive in. Can you tell us? A little Let's about your it. your life, your early life. Um, oh, just tell man. us about you. The older I get, the more layers I feel like life is. So when someone asks you that question, it's just so loaded. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I can do some, like, surface stuff. I yeah. grew up in Kansas City. 
We like to go deep. So if you feel like going deep, go for it. Okay. Grew up in Kansas City, been here all my life, except when I went off to college. But uh, I originally started off in a two-parent household, but uh, unfortunately, I don't remember much of those days. Uh, That kind of ended when I turned five, and then I was raised um, in a single-parent household after that. Grew up off the 63rd Street, went to school in Kansas City Public School. Um, I got into a scholarship program, which granted me the opportunity to go to college out of state. So I took that first chance I mm-hmm. got, went out of town um, to D.C. to go to school out there, um, ended up having a baby while well, getting pregnant. And I came home to have a better support system because I didn't have any family out there. So I came home and I've been stuck here ever since. <laughs> <laughs> and Maybe I love Kansas City. So yeah. It's yeah. But maybe it it there for a while wasn't the direction you thought it might your life might be going. Oh yeah, no, I, I yeah. would have never in a million years thought this is where I would be at in my life. Wow, I thought I was gonna be out here in these streets, in somebody <laughs> else's streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, just I don't know doing being young, what young people do, whatever, whenever. <laughs> so I would have mm-hmm. never thought that I would be much more grounded and um mm-hmm. I guess okay with being in Kansas City because I'm so okay with being here if I if I left it would be because um like a close family member passed away or you know my little support system dwindled and I wanted to escape the reality of no longer having them so that's why I would leave but other than that I'm kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> that support system is a lot right oh yeah it's huge yeah yeah. I've been fortunate enough to have that all my life too. So it's really big. That's mm-hmm. a- amazing. How, um, so you don't remember much about when you lived in the two family household, you mostly remember the single family household. Yeah. Um, was that, can I ask, was that your mom raising you? Yes. Yeah. My mom raised me. So do you remember struggles? Did she, was she, um, could she, well, cause look, I'm just gonna say there had to be struggles. <laughs> I mean, I no. can't imagine, right? Did For she sure. hide that from you? Did you see that all along the way? What was that like? She definitely did a good job of hiding it. Um, mm-hmm. now that I'm older and I'm a mom, I, I know that she struggled for sure, but yeah, she did a great job of hiding it. We did a lot of outings. Like she took me out a lot. She exposed me to a lot of different things and all on little to no income because my mom didn't graduate from college. It took Mm -hmm. her years later to do that, but you know, working minimum wage jobs, but, and you know, I found out that she was rolling in debt, (laughs) you know, payday loans, you know, those loan officers trying to make Christmases work, just Mm -hmm. trying to do whatever. But I, I had no idea that that was a thing. Uh, mm-hmm. going on until now when we have those conversations um, and stuff like that. So, yeah, she did a really good job of, of hiding all of that and making sure that I'm exposed to more than just the world that I had. If that right. Mm-hmm. So tell us more about the program that you were accepted into. Yeah, Kaufman Scholars. Yes. And when did that so happen? Is, I work there now, and I was in the seventh grade. Uh, and the program had, I think, been around for maybe a year and a half or two. 
and they were really fishing to get some kids signed up because I guess people wouldn't sign up, which is weird, right? Because it's like free money. You go to college. What's going on? Mm -hmm. Uh, But so, yeah, they did a lot of outreach the year that I got inducted. And that's basically like came into the class. So I was there from seventh grade through college completion. And so all throughout the program, um, we had different like markers or ways that we had support systems. So through seventh grade, we twice a week after school, we got on a bus, we went to Westport high school and we did tutoring there. We did like um, girl talk there or guy talk. We did different activities. And then as we got older, those times kind of decreased. So once we got to like high school, we only met on Saturdays. And then once we became like an 11th, about to transition to senior we just did summer academy, which for was for like a two weeks or something. Mm-hmm. And so then when we went off to college, we all we had to do was check in with our college advisor who just kept us on track of making sure we're turning in our grades to mm-hmm. know that we're adhering with the program's requirements. Um, but, yeah, they've I've been around them all my life. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> That's, that's pretty cool though. It's kind of come full circle. Yeah, it is. Right. Yeah. So did they help you then with the college application process and all of that? Yeah, they did. That's amazing. Oddly, I think at that time they were going through a lot of transitions internally. So, um, they made it a requirement for us to apply to different colleges. And I, I feel like they helped us more with ACT prep. Mm-hmm. Um, and testing prep than they did with the actual application. But I remember being able to go to my college counselor for that too. Oh, good. So. Wow. So you just said something a minute ago. I'm going to have to take a second to think about what it was. Oh, right. So you would take a bus to get tutored at Westport High School. So something that My eyes were just open to recently, I'm embarrassed to admit, but also we all got to keep learning, right? Um, As we're, Happy Bottoms has really been taking a deeper dive in looking at equity, look, you know, looking at our services through the lens of equity. Um, And I've always been a fan of equity and thought of these things, I don't think I understood the depths of what that meant. For example, I was, my daughter was asked um, to join this tutor math group in, I want to say fifth or sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Um I'm just thinking, great, that's a leg up for my daughter. Mm-hmm. that's not being equitable because not everybody else is getting the opportunity to join mm-hmm. that math tutorship class. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just hadn't thought of it in those exact terms. So again, it's one of those things when you're learn, you're like, I'm astonished. I can't believe I never, ever knew this. And then you learn and you're like, oh my gosh, like how there's, there's just so many, there's so many layers Mm -hmm. to equity and there's so much depth and how does it not, you know, we, how do I not let it be overwhelming and just chip away with my piece and what I can do. And Mm. um, so that's where I'm, you know, still educating myself a lot, Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
But when you mentioned the tutor, I just thought of that, like all these kids who aren't getting tutored, all these kids who don't have the opportunity Mm -hmm. um, for a tutoring session and how it can really make a difference. Um, Yeah, for sure. It was weird. Um, I think I could speak for a lot of students who went through the Kaufman Scholars Program because we were just a subset of kids out of our school who were getting like this special treatment and the buses, but it was really cool too, because, um, you know, Kaufman scholars sole grantor is the Kaufman foundation, which, um, has an enormous endowment of Mr. K's legacy. Who's, um, Mr. Ewing Kaufman. Mm-hmm. And so they are at Liberty to kind of put a little sprinkle on the things that they do. So like our bus wasn't no regular rinky dink school bus. It was like a limousine style bus and they wow. had <laughs> snacks for us and everything. But I tell you why that was so important because we've had never really been like treated like that. You know, most mm-hmm. of the things that we were funded or given were based on the budget that we were had to work with. And so it was so cool to ride around like in style. Mm -hmm. And, you know, although it was cool for us, you know, other kids at school would be like, dang, you know, they wanted to be a part of the program and they only accepted a certain amount. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. uh, but it was nice to, see how the other half is a little bit. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's amazing. I think that program is incredible. And, you know, you think about too, just having the snacks, you said your mom, you know, was like making minimum wage. So for some of those kids that might've been the most food food they've seen that day was having that snack and that's huge. So, um, so that's incredible, but obviously our world has a long ways to go. For sure, for sure. (laughs) And for me, too, I was, my mom hates when I say this, but I feel like we were, like, impoverished by nutrition because we didn't have a lot of food in our house, but we ate out a lot, um, which also, which cut into my mom's budget a lot and had different loans and stuff like that that she had to take out. But we never had, like, a stock fridge or anything like that. So a lot of the times, and people would make fun of me because I'd be throwing down at lunch. Or <laughs> I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd be throwing down anytime I had a chance to eat. Yep. Uh, and not to say that I was starved or anything like that, but I think sometimes we take for granted just what access is. So, like, down, one of the things I make sure I do with my daughter, I have a, if I have, don't have a stock fridge, I go, I have anxiety because I'm like, Oh no, I don't want her to relive relive that. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, I think like, Oh, this is so nice that I do have the access to be able to do that because it does make, it does make a difference. Talk about the access to the food. Was it because there weren't, you know, convenient grocery stores in the neighborhood um, you know what? I wish I could blame it on that, but yeah. I, it's just really my mom. She wants yeah. not a cooker based on like her background oh, and everything I, that she I, with. I can relate. <laughs> and two, she just, she was tired to be honest. She was just like, you know, it's way more convenient for us to get this McDonald's. And that's how it is for a lot of people. And that's mm-hmm. a whole nother subject on nutrition and just, you know, the yep. dangerous, uh, slope you go on for convenience, what you putting at risk. But yeah, it was just like, she was tired. She didn't want to cook. She didn't want to do none of that. So mm-hmm. let's get this quick five nugget meal and, and mm-hmm. keep it moving. So, yeah. but I, I do know that for, for those who may not have that experience that I had or that particular circumstance that it is because of like 
food deserts that they're not they're, they don't have access to proper nutrition and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Who actually want to cook? People who have the time to, or um, who who would enjoy that? I do know that that's a big problem as well. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, I also think fast food in the long run is probably cheaper than stocking your fridge. But yeah, that leads to a whole other. Oh, oh, so scary. scary. So backwards. And they and they and they like thrive off that. Like that's Mm -hmm. what that's what their whole um, foundation is on. Like, how Mm -hmm. do we make convenient? And on one hand, I guess it works for especially for those who work overnight shifts they work in doubles and they don't have that time so it's way easier even if they're on the bus line let me stop and get my kids some food from mcdonald's popeyes wendy's wherever and then drop it off and then head to my ship versus like trying to cook a whole meal so mm-hmm. it's 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 yeah. hard all the way around it is that's really hard to overcome as an adult too when you get used to like all that food with the additives and like yes. the food, it's good. So it's right? to break those habits and go to like broccoli and grilled chicken or you know. for sure. I have a friend who is exactly like that. She mm. grew up on junk food. Um, but in a way that's like her home, that's like what's comfortable to her. So she grew up on like hot chips, soda pops, vests, like little corner store. Cause if you live in the urban community, if you don't, we don't have like like price shoppers big, are high mm-hmm. all around. So you have the little corner stores and the corner stores are nothing but chips, ho-hos, pops, liquor, smokes, you know, all the stuff that's in demand of that community because those are vices and that's a whole nother thing. But yeah, anyway, back to what I was saying. <laughs> she, um, she like thrives on that stuff and it's so hard for her to change her palate now. Like she's so stubborn about it, even though she knows um, the health deficit that it puts her at. That's just like her comfort. And well, I was, yeah, I was just going to say, it probably is like your comfort. Like it makes you feel like home and your yep, youth. And, uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. So do you feel like, if you don't mind me asking and um, you don't have to answer. Okay. But do you feel like you had, uh, do you feel like your childhood was pretty happy childhood? I do. That's I do. Awesome. I'm very yeah. privileged to, to feel yeah. that way. You know, I mean, we all have our gripes and gropes about some of the things, but I, I really, I sound so old, but, and I'm so young, but I really, <laughs> yeah. have, having a kid, one, it ages you. Yes, it and does. And it humbles right. the heck, hell out of you. I'm going to say hell, because that's, that's what it is. And so I, everything that I thought I felt some type of way about growing up, it's like so minuscule. And I see it from a different perspective now and as a woman, as a mom. And so every way that I viewed how my mom raised me or things that I got into, it's just, it's so different now. So mm-hmm. I'm very privileged to feel like I had a happy childhood and yeah. That's awesome. Good. So did you keep up with any kids from uh, the school that weren't able to get in that program? And was there like, was there a noticeable difference in the trajectory of the kids who had those extra services than those who didn't? Yes and no. I would say yes, based on the intention of the trajectory. So the intention behind the kids who came to Kaufman Scholars was going to college. Like we are creating scholars and college graduates. And so um, for those who didn't get in the program, you some of their trajectories have been like entrepreneurs or they've they've been able to find their way, finding other skill sets in the world. And so I don't think they're 
their path is necessarily comparable. But then you do see, you know, those, not necessarily eyeballs, but those group of folks who go to school, whether you went through a scholarship program or not, who just ultimately take a different path that appears to not be as good to them, if that makes sense. But our data, because we have to do data at Kaufman Scholars, um, you you all know that. You have grants, <laughs> you got to have data to back up why you're doing what you're doing. So our data does show um, that based on the intention of what Kaufman Scholars is to create college graduates in order to like level up the playing field for those students in the workforce, that they are um, better off. And I put that in like quotations because we are in an ever-evolving world and that word better and successful is dynamically changing constantly these days. So. Interesting. That's cool. And a lot of times, you know, sometimes that traditional path of going to college isn't right for everybody. I mean, exactly. Very successful people who own plumbing companies. Or, exactly. Yeah. And fun so fact. So we just and what I mean by we Kaufman scholars within the last, I would say, five years or so, they started to do some internal work. Um, and we talk about equity. So. I, and, I, and I think sometimes when people think about equity, I think the first thing they think of is color. But sometimes it's not even about that. So for us, internally, we looked at, like, how we can be more equitable to the students that we're serving. Because, like Ashley said, not everybody wants to go to college. Not everybody does mm-hmm. well in that environment. And there were a lot of students who wanted to do other things, whether that was joining the military, whether that was picking up a trade, getting a certification, and post this, like, transition period we're in now that wasn't an option if you didn't want to go to college if you didn't want to keep up with your grades if you wanted to get a certification you would have to do that on your own time and not in the program and so that was a huge I think wake-up call um, when a lot of like staff and their internal work and reevaluations went through um, because they were looking at the fact that that's not really equitable if we really want to give you know, students a fair chance at what we call this thing life, then we need to be able to be inclusive of their wants and their desires of what they feel like is best for them. So that's Mm -hmm. when we kind of changed our intention of trajectory to be like, we want to be able to support a scholar's success as they feel like it is. So now we support if um, a scholar, because we still have scholars in the program who haven't graduated from college, but now if they want to go get a certification, We'll pay for it if they want to go into the military. We'll do that as well. Uh, but there was a time that we didn't. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. It is. That's awesome. So, um, when do you think you learned about poverty? Was there a kind of a moment in your life when you understood what that was? Yeah, I I, I knew what that was early on because. Um, a lot of my family members are what we would consider to be in poverty. So going over their houses and seeing the comparison between what they have and what I have, what they have, what they don't have and what I have, I knew what that looked like early on. And I knew just like what plight looked like, whether that's environmental stressors or whether that's just like mental mental barriers based on your environment, the influence of your environment too. So I learned that very early on. And if I could give you a specific example had a cousin who was living in the projects in KCK. And for those viewers who don't know what the projects is, just like government housing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, and so we went over there and my mom didn't allow me to go over there that frequently. I didn't understand why, but um, 
sometimes when you take a group of people and you basically institutionalize them and confine them to a certain parameter, um, it's not a lot of positivity or light that can break through from those spaces. So sometimes people can get into, I don't know, just certain mental blocks and pick up on certain vices that are not healthy. So that's why she didn't want me around. Mm-hmm. But going over there, I was like, dang, this is so different than, you know, where I live at. I'm seeing what people doing, like what their day to day looks like waking up in the morning, not going to work, um, just in a, in a very much funk because of just their environment. So. Hmm. And I wonder if there's any studies, we got to get a fact checker for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> a data discovery person. I would be curious because just when you said, you know, you take all these people and put them together in any environment, I think yeah. there's going to be some problems, but specifically that environment, they're probably also not getting any mental health assistance. No. And as we know, I mean, everybody needs mental health assistance, everybody. Yeah. Right. So now you've got this group that's that's already facing an uphill battle most likely and they're not getting assistance for mental health and i would think that uphill battle that they're already facing is just gonna amplify that mental health and so now we've just got we've just like tripled the situation so let's get a mental health person in all of the government subsidized housing how do i that would be new project but you know what's also (laughs) you know what's crazy though Mm -hmm. um Cause I'm on public housing now. Mm-hmm. And when I started this process, so back, cause I was pregnant. And so I was mm-hmm. finishing school with my baby and mm-hmm. I qualified for, you know, getting assistance. So mm-hmm. I had all the things, you know, that's how I got diapers from happy bottoms, but yes. I was on food stamps. I had got TANF and then um, I got on the section eight public housing list and Surprisingly, through that process, there's all kind of points where people can have external resources. I think the barrier is the trust. So if if I've been put in a situation, whether I feel like I've done it myself or whether I feel like somebody's put me in this, whatever narrative an individual takes on and they're not trusting of themselves or the people around them, I feel like it's much harder. Like you can provide a resource, but it's still much harder for somebody to accept it if they don't trust who it's coming from. And that's a big thing I feel like in, you know, communities that I I relate to is that people don't trust the concept of mental health or the people that are providing the mental health. That's a good point. And how many people also just... I mean, I think trust is a big thing and probably the biggest, but I would guess too that there are people who also don't want to, they they would much prefer to be able to handle it on their own. So they don't want to use resources if they, you know, don't absolutely have to. So that, you know, and maybe that ties into the trust too. Yes, like, pride, you know, ego. like, mm-hmm. yeah, yes, that's exactly it. Pride and ego and all of those things. And yeah, that's, uh, it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah, no, for sure. It's definitely a big one. I know like when I started uh, to get assistance and everything like that, and when I realized how resourceful it was for me, and I tried to share it like with, you know, my friends who were in similar situations where they had just had a baby. And I'm like, oh, you should do X, Y, and Z. And they're like, I don't need that. I'm not going to get on that because it's such a stigma. 
Mm-hmm. And there are pitfalls to the, the assistance system, our government's yep. assistance system. There are definitely pitfalls. But there are also some that I think do a really great job of trying to elevate a family out of a certain situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I think it's a lot of things. Have you ever in your work, I don't know that you would have done it with Kauffman Center anywhere, but, um, or I don't even know if you've heard of this or Ashley, if we've talked about it, but there's a um, poverty simulation um, that you can go through. And yes, so they set it up. I've never actually gone through it. I've um, tried a couple times to get it to come to Happy Bottom so we can do it for some of our donors. It's rather expensive to set up. But you kind of just do it. It's facilitated in a room and, you know, you have to have all these volunteers to set up the experience, but you'll have like your, um, your WIC office over here, your other office, your, you know, your, then to get a driver's license and then to get a job and all these things. And the people going through the experience will get like what their experience is and they learn um, that when they go to try and get one thing, they're told, well, you need to go over here and get X, Y, Z first. And the runaround that you get, right. And the, how the system is really kind of made to not, you know, to, like you said, not necessarily elevate everybody out of, out of poverty. I do think there are some amazing people doing amazing work that are elevating everybody. And I really hope that system is changing as we're all looking at more, um, you know, root causes and through that equity lens. But, um, but it's, uh, I wish that, that everybody could go through that experience of what it's like, because I just don't think people understand the depths of how hard it is. Look, I'm a single mom. I have my daughter 85% of the time um, and run this nonprofit and I'm exhausted and stressed to the max. And so I can't imagine you know, and, and I run an, I have a good job, right? So uh-huh. I can't, I can't imagine being uh-huh. a single mom and not having a good job. I'm like I said, I'm already stressed to the max. So uh-huh. you're going to throw one other thing on me. Once you get to a certain level in life, you are more receptive to, to different concepts like yes. diapers, right? because they're not very convenient. They're not, you have to have access. You have to have time. You have to have the head space. You have to have the intention and those uh-huh. are clouded and not even first a priority when right. you are living a different circumstance. Yeah. I mean, just making it day to day, just like you said, like the not having a food stock, that's a privilege thing. Like that's, that is. Yeah. Cause I'm the same. I don't, I, I probably, maybe I do like to cook. I don't think so though, because I'm just stressed out. The last thing I want to do at the end of the day is cook. So I, I can relate to your mother and your situation. Yes. My daughter's going to be in the same boat because she eats like the same <laughs> six things. <laughs> There's never yeah, food my, in the my, fridge. My, my mom's food. If she did cook, she cooked the like same three meals in rotation. <laughs> yeah, and they were like, I can relate. Meals. I can relate. I was a well, I'm divorced now. Probably don't know Adam, but I'm a single, so I'm a single mom half the time now, I guess you would say. Okay. But before I was a stay-at-home mom, and I would have like Pinterest pages full of recipes, and I'd try out all these new things, and now I'm just like, same. Like, I do ramen bowls from Costco, like four minutes in the microwave, my son loves them, and I'm just like, I am not, I don't have the energy, the effort, 
interested. It's interest. too much. It's privilege. Yeah. And you know what's funny? When people try to, and now I see, now I know why my mom is where she was. <laughs> because people, people try to talk to me. Let me be specific. Men. Like if I'm talking to a man and he's like, you should cook more. Because, you know, they, they call themselves like that. And I'm like, well, part one, I don't know how to cook. Two, it takes a lot of time. And why don't you learn how to cook? Right. It is. It's a privilege. It's a, and it's a, truly a time thing. It's exhausting. It, it takes so much time. The planning, the okay. store shopping, then the actual cooking itself. It is. You just hit the nail on the head. It is, it is time. And time is not something that people have. Um, so, yeah. So I was the other day and was like, grilling was invented to get men to actually participate in the <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, so we're all leaders in some way, Autumn. How are you a leader? And was there a defining point or a person that led to that? That's a tough question. <laughs> I think I'm just now realizing that I'm a leader. And... How I'm a leader, not quite sure. Uh, Who is somebody I look up to? Our executive director at Kaufman Scholars, her name's Tanisha Ford. Um, And when I when I think of leader, I'm not I'm thinking I I don't know why I compartmentalize it to like work and professionalism. Um, But I know we are leaders in other avenues of our life too. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a leader to my daughter. I'm of course I model. I'm a leader to peers and family members and stuff like that, but I automatically assume professional. So that's why I'm going with my, our executive director. Um, But one of the reasons why I look up to her is because, and this is how I um, started thinking about leadership is they really set the tone for everyone else to follow. And so I feel like our executive director creates this space of, failure if that makes sense so like there's no intimidation to be perfect or to 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 look a certain way to act a certain way because we're all in this space together and we're learning and working through it and she puts like her life on the table for us too like we're not every detail but like where she's at what she's going through and how she's still striving and working on things and challenging herself and so I think that is just really cool and admirable because it takes a level of vulnerability to do that, especially when you are in a leadership role where the expectations and the idea of responsibility may be a bit more heavier than someone who people would say is lower on the totem pole. When I was just even listening to you talk earlier in this discussion, in the back of my head, a little voice was going, this is a future executive director talking right now. I just think um, you're very knowledgeable about a lot of things and very um, well-spoken and passionate, I think. And, you know, those are all important things. And like you said, you are young. I think I can't wait to see where life takes you. (laughs) I really can't. I think that, like, the world is your oyster right now. So um, I'm excited to see where where your path takes you. Thank you. I received that so much. Someone else the other day told me, and this is a peer who said, yeah, I really like how you're knowledgeable about 
a little bit of everything. And I said, you know what? I never really thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. But shout out to my moms if she ever watches this podcast. <laughs> this because she is, I call her TV sometimes, but she is all knowing. She's like an almanac. And mm. um, I just soaked that up from her and I guess the curiosity to learn stuff. So I received mm-hmm. that and I thank you for that. I can also tell that you're like very um, thoughtful about the way that you process things and the way that like you don't just say something like you're constantly like thinking through it before you come and you don't take things at face value, but like analyzing and and thinking through things in a thoughtful way so that you're, you know, like Jill said, very well spoken and passionate and you can tell it's thought through and it's not just... um, Something that you wow, actually, I've never heard that one. (laughs) I've never heard that one, and you know, but you know, shout out to manifestation because I told myself I wanted to work on that because I'm I'm a very reactive person. So um, my first thing is to like just react to something, or especially if someone's talking. Um, I am one of those people who would be considered like outgoing, or if you were in a meeting, I'm one of those people who talking more. So I've really been trying to work on myself to be more of a listener so that I can think through. So shout out to that. <laughs> and it's thank working. you for saying that. Yeah. You're very welcome. No, that came across to me right away. Yeah, it's working. That's awesome. How old is your daughter now? She's five. She just started <gasps> kindergarten. No. Crazy. Gosh. It's so crazy. Is she liking it? She is. She yeah. wasn't at first. The first two weeks yeah. were really tough, but because they don't take naps. She's at school from 8 30 to 4. Well, that's and just rude. You gotta that. have a nap. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> she hates that. Wow. So oh. when I pick her up and we're on our way home, she just knocks out. She goes straight to sleep. Oh, <laughs> that's a lot. Well, yeah, especially because, yeah, you go to like napping to not only are you not napping, but your brain is just going all, all day with new yes. stuff. So, wow. I bet. I bet she's exhausted. That's that's fun. Yeah. So why do you think some of us end up in a pile of it and some of us get out clean? I think it's like you can't answer it just with one thing because it's a combination of things. Like, I think percentage of it is just in in eight. Like, you have to individually have the willpower, but then it's also, like, external. You have to have the support system that, you know, helps complement that confidence that you build up for yourself. And then I feel like you have to have access. And... Yeah, I I feel like it's those three things. But then Mm -hmm. again, I don't know, because, for instance, so for me, I think I've had all three of those things. I think because I've had a very, very supportive mother and family members, um, it's encouraged me. It's validated, you know, me and how I feel about my life. And then I've had access. And a lot of that access has been because of, like, who my mom has tried to put me in front of or expose me to different things. But then I have a cousin who um, didn't grow up in uh, with much access to anything. She stayed in the projects, um, but she got into college herself. She paid for her college herself through mm-hmm. um, grants and all of that stuff. And then her mom passed. So um, she had got some type of in a program where it would it would fund basically her college. So she did that. And she's one of 
three, oh. si- uh, two other siblings, and the, her other two siblings didn't do any of that. Now she's got a good job. Um, she joined a sorority. She's active, you know, trying to live her best young life. Um, she has a side hustle. So all of those mm-hmm. things I feel like are intrinsic because she didn't, nothing around her validated those motives. Mm-hmm. So it's weird because you yeah. have those, those diamonds who somehow shake it up out the rough. And then you have other folks who have more of a, a real rounded spectrum to, you know, you know, better them. So I just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I know for me, I'm a culmination of things. I think if it was just left for me and my own willpower, that ain't I wouldn't be here on this podcast. I'd be somewhere else out in the streets. But, <laughs> <laughs> so, but like my cousin, I think hers is just pure, pure heart, pure all in her. So mm-hmm. you're wow. so right. And then there's some people who have everything and they still fell in Apollo, but they can't take the opportunity yes. to have and they take everything for granted and yes. have no initiative. And yep. yeah, I mean, there's stories like that too, unfortunately. And yeah, you're right. I never thought about the innate nature of things, but that definitely plays a part. But I also think when I talk of, when I say about like the support system, sometimes it's hard to acknowledge the fact that we do have a lot more power over the decisions that we make when you are in a pile of it. So if you in a pile of some, it feels like you have no control over how to get out of that situation. And so it's easier to, you know, blame what's going on around you or your circumstances. Um, but when you are able to have like a, a blinder, kind of like a windshield wipe, kind of clear some of that mud, you, I think it builds up more of like your confidence or your self-esteem to know like, hey, I have a little bit more of control over how I can maneuver out of a certain mm-hmm. situation. Yeah. So what do you most value? Love. Mm. I value love a lot. Mm. That's one of my favorite words. It's Aww. so powerful because if if everything else was to like vanish away, you know, that's one thing that's it's so humane and it's it, it's not going to ever go anywhere because that's how we are that's how we um that's really how we continue through love. I mean, in one night stands, but, <laughs> but for the most part, for the most part, it's love, you know? For the most Could you, part, the most um, right? Could you imagine if the whole world had like 50% more love right now? Maybe we, maybe that exactly. would solve all the problems. Oh, I know. Might solve know, all the problems. This is so off topic, but I was watching the news, which I rarely do because it just taints my spirit. But mm-hmm. I was watching the news and they were talking about how there is a whistleblower at Facebook who spoke to how communication companies like Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp, they they strategically put negativity in front of you because you get more of a reaction than if you were to put something, which makes sense. Like from a genius, radical, dangerous standpoint, that makes sense. Like I'm going to get engagement. I know I can get people engaged off of this. So it creates that polarization. So I wonder if this idea of if it's just like a figment like I know we're polarized but is it that drastic or is it does it appear to be that drastic because the man 
or the people are making it. That's a whole nother. Oh, it is. But you're, I mean, you're so right. The, I don't know if you guys saw the social dilemma on Netflix and it's how, I you know, watch that. basically they're just, they're pulling the, we're all puppets and they're just pulling the strings, doing mm-hmm. whatever they want. I, um, got into a little bit of a, apparently I've always told my daughter that social media is evil. And so she's almost 15 and, um, some of my dearest oldest friends that I've had forever and ever and ever, we pretty much made her go on Instagram. Um, <laughs> she doesn't want to go on anything. She's like, no, they're evil. Why would I do that? And I'm like, well, okay, you're right. And I have been saying that, but there's some benefit to them, right? She wants, there's some stuff she wants to do in life and have a, have, you know, she's going to need to understand how to use it for business most likely. So trying to get her on that, but it at the, you know, and then I saw that too this morning on the news and she was here and she's like, see, you're right. They're evil. And I'm like, well, (laughs) I know, but you still have to learn how to use it. It's yeah, it's bad. And, but I hadn't thought of that. You're right. Like how much of this anger that's in the world right now would not be there if it wasn't for social media. It, It does seem like a lot of just perceived anger because of what we're being fed. The more that we see it, the more we feel like we have to like draw ourselves into these corners. Mm-hmm. And we don't, I think if, if we, if there was a room of 10 people and we were just sharing a beer, we would all find commonality and to sure. get along with each other. You know, it's not like, it's not, I don't think it's as dire as they make it out to be. I and we wouldn't it. talk about those things that are probably the div- divisive, divisive things. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, are we making them more divisive yeah, than they need to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. Huh. Now, I do understand that, you know, the pro to any type of communication stream is that it does help. It's supposed to provide an objective standpoint on information and for you to be able to do what you want with it. So I do understand that a lot of situations and things that have been going on have been highlighted, which is important because people do need to be aware. But I do think that the downside of that is it has created so much. So We've covered a wide range of topics. We have. I feel like I want to keep talking. I want to ask more questions, but I also want to respect your time. So um, anything else? Going to school for, what was your uh, degree going to be? I wanted to be a lawyer um, because I have been told that I'm pretty passionate when I talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually did this really cool thing in high school, which was called mock trial where it was like a debate team and um we we you know we had this case we were uh questioning witnesses and it was really fun and so I thought I was gonna do that so when I left to go to college I my major was in criminal justice and then I thought I wanted to be somebody's teacher so I had like minored in education I didn't know how I was gonna wrap those two around (laughs) um but then when I had came back home I kind of reprioritized and whatever I thought I wanted to do that kind of went out the window because I needed to graduate. So I, um, I just majored in sociology because those credits could transfer over. So that's what I ultimately got my degree in with the emphasis in cultural anthropology, which I really love. And now I'm just out here trying to figure out like, who was that person that wants to be a lawyer? Who is this person now? Who is then? Who was that person who thought they was going to be somebody's cultural anthropologist and go like, live in another culture for like 10 years to study them and then who is this person now so Uh sociology though I think that's I wish everybody had to minor in that I feel like it's such a life skill that everybody needs to understand 
um, and have a grasp on, if I could do it again, I probably would have had that as a, at least a minor for me. Um, yes. I love sociology. And I think that's why I value love because mm-hmm. when you look at all of these different cultures in different communities, we, it, we literally all are the same, even though we're different, we're all, we have the, it, whatever culture you go to has literally the same issues, mm-hmm. money, color, like, and I think people sometimes think like, oh, it's just white and black in America. No, if you go to another culture, the dark, it, you know, there's always a disparity between shade range and they're of the mm-hmm. same ethnicity. They're of the same background. So I don't know. I just, I really enjoy sociology. Yeah. I heard, I was listening to some podcasts. I don't remember what it was and they explained race in kind of an interesting way. Um, and they were like, we're all one race. There's just one race. And they're like, look at dogs. Dogs are all dogs, but they've got different color skin, different fur, different kinds of dogs. But at the end of the day, you look at a dog, the dogs, they bark, they all have the same, like basic (laughs) base. They're made up of the same basic things. And I was like, that's kind of an interesting analogy for humans. You know, we're just humans. That is true. Yeah. Well, Autumn, this was awesome. We appreciate it. This was thank great. You. No, thank yeah. you all. I enjoy you. stuff like this, so I, I, I really enjoyed my time. Good. Well, we enjoyed you. I feel like uh, your next stop, stop is the, the Autumn Bryant podcast. We got to hear your podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be fun. I'm I think, that, I could I think that's coming. Long. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's coming. Um, well, thank you. We appreciate You're your welcome. time, and we'll talk again soon. Okay. Thanks. Y'all have a good one. You too. Bye. Bye. That was fun. She's lovely. She is. I mean, I just can't. I'm blown away because, again, what she's doing as a young, young, young single mom is just incredible. Yeah, she's got a great perspective on things, too. Like, somebody in that position could easily be bitter or, like, you know, feel victimized. or And she's just, like, taking the world by the the tail. Yes, she is. (laughs) Yes, she is. And I do love, you know, she will just tell it like it is. Like, I I love that. I feel like I am loving getting to know some of this younger generation who, for lack of a better word, I'm going to tell it like it is. They're putting me in my place. Like, they are are educating me on things I need to be educated on and and have the courage to speak out and call out those things, right? And like, sure, it might sting at first when you hear it, but then I'm like, I'm so grateful for it. I'm so grateful to continue to learn. And I think she's really good at that. Like, you know, if something comes up, she'll just say, this is how it is from this perspective. You can't forget that. Oh, right. So what we didn't talk about, Autumn is on our DEI committee um, at Happy Bottoms as well, diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, And she brings such a great voice to that committee as well. And, you know, something that we are committed to at Happy Bottoms to ensure that we're looking at everything through that lens, as I know so many people are. And it's, you know, a shame that we had to wait this long to do something more formal, but I am glad that we are doing something more formal now to address it. So I'm glad to have her on. Yeah, I'm excited to see what all comes out of it and how it shifts different Mm -hmm. things and what role it plays in our, you know, Evolution and happy bottoms. It's exciting. Yeah. 
And I can't wait to see what Autumn does. So we'll definitely follow up and keep up with her. <laughs> 